Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson, and we have made it to Friday and what I have to say felt like an extra epically long week. Coming up, podcast expert Nick Kwa tells us about some shows you might want to check out, including one about the history of reality TV, which I am very intrigued by. Then we'll hear from a reporter who looked into late pandemic burnout. The exhaustion is real, y'all. But first, it's our panel on the week that was. First up, we have the aggressively delightful host of Fake the Nation, Nagin Farsad. Nagin, hey. Hey, thanks for having me. And making her Nerdette debut, it's Art of Power host, Arthi Shahani. Arthi, welcome. Hey, what's up? Oh, I'm so excited to have you on the show. It's great to be here. So, oh, man, where do you even start this week? It was a really heavy one, I think, especially when you think about police violence, um, as if the trial reliving the police killing of George Floyd weren't enough. Another black man was killed by police in Minnesota over the weekend. That's in the wake of news about a police shooting of a 13-year-old boy a couple weeks ago here in Chicago. We also heard about police pepper spraying a black man in Virginia. Because of protests, especially around the killing of George Floyd last summer, it seemed like people were, I don't know, more ready than ever before to have conversations about police reform. But here we are nearly a year later after like just a really brutal week. I'm curious if y'all are hopeful for change. Arthi, what do you think? I mean, so so I feel like the answer has to be yes, because right. I think any responsible adult must be hopeful for change and keep figuring out how do we improve things. That's not to say it, it doesn't feel awful, mm-hmm. um, but but I feel like there's this reflex in me that's like, don't turn this into violence porn. Don't turn this into defeatism. Um, pay attention to what you know what a certain set of voices I really respect are saying to kind of keep me emotionally grounded and then look out for the people who have solutions. Yeah, that I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. What do you think, Nagin? Yeah, I mean, you know, like obviously um, it's just unbelievably sad, but the, uh, and, and you know, and the injustice is, uh, it just feels sort of never ending. But at the same time, you know, I had a conversation on uh, on my podcast, Fake the Nation, where we talked about, um, the kind of the conversation about this incident with Dante Wright has been what should the cop have done, you know, and and my answer to that is let him get away. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this was not a safe situation in which to handle this particular case. And so let him get away. You have his, you know who it is, you know, the the license plate. Like this is like the 21st century. Like we have ways to handle these things. Um, and it's like if you if you can't ensure that something is going to be handled safely, then yeah. I mean, I don't know. Is that crazy? It seems like there is some 
clear directions that police forces can take. And I find that very hopeful. There's also some clear direction that the instructional classes can take, you know? So that also makes me really hopeful. Um, And now it's just a matter of like implementation and having the political and cultural will of that implementation. Uh, And I think, I mean, again, like with the, with the country where it is right now and how just upset we are, um, I feel like we're getting closer and closer to that will. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I think it's going to be really interesting to see, yeah, what happens over the next, I mean, six months, but six years and six decades, right? So uh, we also had some big COVID news this week, um, largely that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is on pause because of concerns about blood clots. Uh, I think this... I don't know. I think I'm more fascinated by this situation, not from like a medical point of view, but from like a medical communications point of view, like the idea of it as kind of a PR disaster, I think is really interesting. The like, well, it's not bad. We're just putting it on pause. It should be back next week. We'll see what happens. I just find really fascinating. What do you think, Nikki? Oh, my God. First of all, it it makes me so sad because it's like we saw that whole thing happen with AstraZeneca. And now AstraZeneca is like wearing the scarlet letter A or whatever. A for AstraZeneca. um, A for AstraZeneca and for shames. Shame spelled with an A. Um, And uh, and so like it, it makes me sad because, you know, the the medical community has come out and said there were incidents of blood clots, but they were not greater than what happens in the regular population. So just never mind. Let's just continue. But the like thing already, like the you know the the bad the rep is already out there, and it's so frustrating because AstraZeneca could be a real savior for so many countries, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like we're in a lucky position that we could pop, like Biden said we could basically do all of America with Moderna and Pfizer. We're good, so we don't need to like worry at that level but like these vaccines are are supposed to be used globally and we're not going to be able to win the pandemic if it if we don't have a global approach and so i just hope that as americans and then also as global citizens we can <laughs> let j and j bounce back if the medical community determines that it's bounce backable that's my little hope is that we don't overreact and we don't like shame j and j i think i have friends who've taken J&J. Some of my best <laughs> friends are J&J vaccines, you know? So I, I'm listening to you and I'm like hearing like, I feel like J&J bounce back, bounce yeah. back. <laughs> I feel like you're helping them with their branding. <laughs> I believe in them. I mean, gosh. I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it. Yeah. It's a single dose. It doesn't require refrigeration. It's like the, le- it's the yeah. lowest maintenance vaccine scene it's like super chill it likes to go to brunch i mean guys j and j yeah it's like the honda civic of vaccines you know it's it's affordable it's structurally sound it's not perfect but it's gonna get the job done <laughs> exactly exactly so yeah no, i know i hear you though like i just i feel like you know what's so weird is like with the pandemic, we lose so much perspective. You know, risk risk will always be there. We will always have risk, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's just 
what level can we tolerate? And, you know, I, I was seeing one of the, the, the medical doctors on Twitter tweeting last night. She was like, the chance of blood clotting and pregnancy is a lot more than from Johnson & Johnson. You can stop getting pregnant, you know? <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I mean, we so. we looked it up. You're more likely to get struck by lightning than you are to get a blood clot from the oh, Johnson really? & Johnson vaccine. Yeah, just looking at the numbers, which like, you know. Yeah, I don't know. It's a tricky one. Mm -hmm. So, Nagin, the Muslim holy month of Ramadan started earlier this week. Do you observe it? Um, yeah, I'm one of those Muslims that doesn't do the fasting. <laughs> so in that sense, <laughs> no. Um, but, but the way I like to observe it is, um, <laughs> while I'm eating bacon, I like to think about, um, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I like to think about, um, you know, I like to have like a sort of goal for, for the month that'll make me, um, it, you know, cause there's all, all sorts of things people do. They forget that forgiveness is a really big one for the month of Ramadan. Ramadan. Yeah, it's kind of a time of self-improvement, right? Yeah, exactly. It's a time of self-improvement. And I think the fasting gets all of the marketing just because, again, because it's the most salacious. It's the most like, you know, O.J. Simpson courtroom trial. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, but it's actually not like, you know, it, it, to, to me, the star of it is the kind of um, goal, self-improvement goals and, and the forgiveness and the community-minded actions, the giving to charity, all of that stuff is a part of Ramadan. Um, and, and a lot of, so what am I my, you know, dumb things besides just generally being, um, you know, g giving to charity or, or volunteering um, for this month, my personal specific thing is that I want to be um, more calm when I have to deal with technical issues oh. when talking to my parents. Um, my parents, I mean, guys, I get a lot of calls uh, that the email disappeared stuff like that um the just or like i open this website and i can't make it stop playing a song you know mm -hmm. there's like stuff like that that happens and i lose my mind i just it's like in every other aspect of life i'm able to like keep a lid on it right <laughs> but like when my parents ask for computer help i just truly lose my mind and so uh so this is uh this is my month of just finding a zen place with people's uh, computer problems so and, and come at me you know what i mean if you have an issue like find me on the social medias and we'll get on the phone and i will try my best to k remain calm and explain to you your technical problem <laughs> It's so specific and yet universal at the same time. My yeah. mom recently <laughs> lost all of, somehow all of her emails disappeared and she was surprisingly nonchalant about it. Like she was very zen about that and I was kind mm. of alarmed. I was like, wait, but you're not gonna like, you don't need any of those? <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. I know, we would lose our minds if that happened. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, it would be a disaster. <laughs> so before I let you two go... Our next segment is with Nick Kwa, podcast wizard. He has some great recommendations for podcasts to listen, but I was curious if either of you have any hot tips about new pods. I know you guys are both podcast hosts, so I'm going to recommend both of your shows so you don't have to. Nagin, Fake the Nation, Arthi, Art of Power. What else is on your radar these days? I'm going to name one. Uh, you know, the great Margaret Cho, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, and she has this podcast called Mortal Minority, and and here's the thing, I've been listening to it lately. Like I've always been a fan of hers, that's not new. But I'm really liking the conversations she's having because she's basically taking on the whole model minority identity. And mm -hmm. I just feel like in the last few months, like Asian American has never 
in the past been a particularly strong identity for me. Like, I don't think that people really feel themselves to be Asian American. Mm -hmm. Only in the last few months, I think particularly with anti-Asian violence, like that's changing and I really am feeling Asian American. And so I just feel like she's the host that like brings us together to hang out and think about who we are. And so like she she's doing something for me right now. Like I kind of needed it. Oh, that sounds great. And I'm glad it exists. That's a great recommendation. I am going to... Um promote a podcast called Groceries. Um, it's from the people that do Attitudes. Aaron Gibson and Brian Safi have been doing a show called Attitudes, formerly known as Throwing Shade. It's a fantastic show. Um, and they 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 do a spin-off series called Groceries. <laughs> Folks, I feel like uh, I feel like Arthur's um, you know, suggestion was just a lot more thoughtful than mine because this <laughs> this one is literally about grocery stores. Oh, okay. <laughs> the yeah. experience of shopping and and like the pricing and the aisle widths and uh, just like, you know, the carts, um, they're, they're very funny. And for some reason, just like the best way to spend time. <laughs> so I highly recommend it because it also has nothing to do with anything, you know? Yeah, that sounds kind of perfect these days for sure. I get that appeal. Yeah, exactly. Just like, yeah, think about like well-organized things on shelves. Like, sure. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, Nagin, Arthi, thank you so much for talking with me today. It was a delight. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Every once in a while, we like to check in with an expert about some of the best stuff to enjoy these days. Today, that expert is Nick Kwa, who listens to more podcasts than most humans should. Nick, hello. It is true. It is way too much. How many hours do you think you listen to pods in a given day? Uh, actually, I have a running record. Um, I it's I average like four or five hours, maybe. Um, okay. And some on the background and some like I had to intentionally listen to. So way too much. But I know you don't multitask when you listen to Nerdette. No, I do not. Do you, well, actually, I, I often listen to it when I'm running, and I don't consider that multitasking. Oh, <laughs> interesting. We have a whole new layer of consumption. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, okay, so you brought like a really great variety of stuff. What should we start with? Okay, uh, so we should start with Anything for Selena, cool. which is a uh, WBUR and Futuro Studios show. Uh, it's hosted by Maria Garcia. Um, I like to think about it as part documentary, part uh, memoir. Um, it's mm. about the um, late Tejano music icon, uh, Selena Quintanilla. Uh, and the show is basically, you know, it, it's basically premise is sort of like, let us reexamine the legacy of this iconic figure. But it also runs through uh, Maria's experience very, very sort of thoroughly. And it ends up being this sort of like melding. And, and, and it, it kind of touches on these ideas of like how um, celebrity and cultural representation really does shape and form identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, uh, before going into the show, I, I was kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of like meh on the on the importance of representation in, in some ways. I'm, I'm kind of a one of those structural uh uh, economic redistribution, material redistribution kind of thinker. Hmm. But um, the argument in the show and sort of the the um, the sort of feeling and spirit and like sheer formation of the show is, is fantastic. And it really sort of made me think of, uh, rethink a lot of assumptions. We actually have some audio from the trailer. Let's take a listen. For almost my entire life, I've been thinking about why Selena matters, about what it means to love her. Selena's legacy has shown me some of the biggest revelations about my identity, 
my community, my country. I'm Maria Garcia, and this is Anything for Selena, a podcast about belonging. I think it sounds great. That song's still a bop. Still, still a bop. Right? Okay, so what else you got? Well, um, the next one I want to talk about is a show called Spectacle. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and the I, th- I believe it's the subtitle is The Unscripted uh, History of Reality Television. You know what? Actually, before you even say any more, can we listen to the audio we have? Because Please. it like piqued my interest so much. The Real Housewives and the Fab Five are as important to our culture as today's New York Times. I know that sounds crazy, but I talk to experts about it and they tell me I'm right. I mean, what do we learn about Survivor? We learn that we don't live in a meritocracy. It doesn't matter how well you perform at challenges. If people decide that you are not their kind, uh, they don't want you on their tribe, you get voted out. And that's a really sobering reality to kind of realize about our society. Like when you hear meritocracy and Survivor in the same sentence, I'm like, what is happening here? <laughs> it's a it's a real go from the start. I, I would go a little further. Reality television, in my opinion and belief, is more important than the New York Times. Uh, <laughs> anyway, this this series, this show, uh, I feel like it's it's very much in the middle of the Nick Qua Venn diagram, and also, um, but the sheer sort of quality and strength of the show is is really worth uh, considering remarking upon. It's by Mariah Smith. She is. Um, a reality TV expert of sorts. She has written about it. She has worked in it. Uh, she has she thinks a lot about it. And the show is basically a very abbreviated history of reality television, kind of uh, moving chronologically. So the first episode it starts with this sort of progenitor, uh, what she believes is sort of the essential like progenitor of the of the genre, which is actually a PBS documentary called An American Family in the seventies. Whoa. Um, yes. And each episode kind of picks uh, a more iconic um, reality TV franchise moving forward in time. And by the time it gets to the sort of the end of the show, uh, end of the series, I hope there is more. I don't know yet. Mm. Um, It gets to more sort of uh, interesting picks. The final episode, I believe, is about the circle, uh, which I love very, very dearly. So do you think this would work? Like, I'm a person who doesn't watch reality TV because I'm scared I will have to, like, quit my job and never leave my house again (laughs) if I start. But I am vaguely curious about it as a phenomenon. Like, do you think it would work for people like that? Yes. um, It is as much an introduction as it is a celebration or a study. Yeah. Yeah. what it does really well, I think, with each successive episode and each franchise that it picks up, it, it really kind of gets the heart of what was important about these shows during the time that it hit their sort of apex. And so yeah. you don't really have to be super familiar with it. And and that itself kind of opens up into your mind of like, okay, like I think I know what the show is about. I think I know why people liked it. What's the argument? What's the analysis? And wow. it, the show is really good at doing that. That sounds great. So you brought two picks that are a little more on the serious side. Should we start with the line? Yeah, uh, the line, I picked it largely because, on the one hand, it's very good. Uh, it's by uh, Dan Tabrisky, who is uh, known in podcast land for his work uh, doing Miss- Missing Richard Simmons. More recently, he did uh, Running from Cops, which is a fantastic kind of cultural anthropological study of cops, the TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the line, uh, it examines the story of um, Eddie Gallagher, who's a former Navy SEAL who's charged um with uh, a bunch of war crimes related to the um, to a battle in Iraq, so the Battle of Mosul. Um, at the end of the day, he was uh, convicted of just one, which is posing uh, with a picture of a corpse. But there's mm-hmm. a lot 
there's a lot of that we don't know about this case, and there's a lot that uh, that's kind of baked into it. And what Dan does that's really interesting is that he he talks to Eddie directly, and he kind of uses him as a prism to talk about the culture of the Navy SEALs and the culture of militarization in general. Wow. Um, it's still ongoing. I think it's fascinating. I think it's probably going to be one of the best podcasts, better podcasts to come out this year. Hmm. Uh, if you if you can stomach the the violence and the stomach right. the sort of like heaviness of it, I highly recommend it. How blurred has the line gotten between right and wrong in war? We talked to more than 50 special operators to find out. Every choice was between wrong and wrong. Something happened that shouldn't have happened, and you cannot unring the bell. Yeah, that sounds pretty intense. Yeah, it's also uh, very masculine. Uh, so that's thing, that, that is a red flag for some people, uh, but it's kind of necessary for the story. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So another pick you have is from the This American Life serial crew, right? Absolutely. Uh, it's a show that's coming out soon. I've heard some early uh, clips. It's called the Improvement Association, which is an actual name of an actual group uh, in a place <laughs> in North Carolina. Uh, the tagline for this show is a true story about election fraud, uh, which is a sizzler of just a concept given mm-hmm. the political climate we are. Yep. Um, it's reported and hosted by Zoe Chase. And um, it's fascinating. It's, as you would expect from Zero Productions, really yeah. complicated and thorny. Um, it's also very, very uh, in the weeds really quickly based on what I've heard. And mm. I enjoy it as a person who really loves political documentaries and political uh, sort of stories in general. Um, I think I think this is going to be an interesting one to watch. This, this may or may not pop as hard as Nice White Parents, but it's it feels like it's going to be a really important artifact. It's a really interesting one because it sounds like, especially even the way you're describing it, like it could get wonky super fast. But if I trusted anyone to take a really wonky story and make it super accessible, it would be that crew. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you know Bladen County, North Carolina, it's probably for its high profile election related corruption. So you were filling in the ovals and voting for other people, right? Yes, sir. You were voting other people's ballots. Yes, sir. Right. I assume you knew that it was not legal to vote other people's ballots. Right. We were doing what we were paid to do. I understand you, but you were paid to do something that you knew was wrong. Yes, sir. I just love her voice so much. She's the best. Yes. So you have one more for us, right? It's called Lolita Podcast. Yeah. uh, This one kind of came out uh, at the top of this year. And, uh, you know, as a result, kind of came and went but i really loved and enjoyed it uh it's by jamie loftus who's this writer comedian podcaster she was most prominent to me at least for being the the creator and writer uh and and host of my year in mensa one of my top three picks from 2020 mm. um and it is it is straight up a literary uh study it is it is a podcast in which she kind of goes into uh the um famous slash infamous very uh <laughs> seminal i guess whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. nabokov book um and wow. she she I think what she does with the show is that she unpacks the many ways in which Lolita, the story, the novel has been adapted, has been thought about, has been reduced, has been uh, valorized for uh, incorrect reasons, but also has largely been mis- miscomprehended. Like there mm-hmm. is a sort of a, a, a heart to how she understands what this book is trying to say and what this book is trying to do in its time and, and how it translates to today. Lolita, light of my life, fire of my loins. It's one of the most recognizable introductions to one of the most controversial works in American history 
Vladimir Nabokov's novel, Lolita. I've been haunted by this book since it was recommended to me in middle school by a children's author. And with all the progress we've made in the last several years of unpacking the baggage that comes with media from the past, Lolita has kind of fallen by the wayside in that conversation. Until now. What an interesting premise. I can't decide. It's like, is this what the world needs? I mean, I guess, yes, right? (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm generally uh, whenever I sort of ask myself that question in terms of a project, the second question is like, do I need to hear from this person? Mm, and yes. I I was wavering on the first question. I was a yes from the second question, yeah. like very much spot on. Yeah, that's a very good point, Nick Quad. Thank you so much. This was a delight. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. After the break, are you extra bonus worn out these days? Me too. We'll dive into the idea of the pandemic wall in just a minute. Obviously, over the past year, we have spent a fair amount of time on this show trying to process the pandemic. We have also talked a fair amount about burnout. Well, today we are talking about what Sarah Lyle calls late stage pandemic burnout. She is a reporter for The New York Times. She just wrote a story called We Have Hit a Wall. Sarah, welcome to Nerdette. Thank you so much. So I'm sure I am not the only person to tell you that this story resonated pretty intensely with me. (laughs) We got a huge response from it. We did a call out to readers via one of our newsletters and just asked them to send in their their own experiences, you know, some details of what's what it's been like for them. Mm-hmm. And the astonishing thing was how granular the details were. They're saying, you know, we I have a great job, but um but I'm I'm having a hard time feeling that it's important or worthwhile. Um I feel re- remote from everyone else. I feel like there's a sort of gauze between me and and daily life in a way. One of the things that that I spoke to some neurologists and some psychologists for the piece, and they said, you know, the combination of anxiety coupled with boredom mm-hmm. and and sameness is very difficult. And that long, you know, anxiety in the beginning, like last year around this time, a lot of us were terrified, but we also had a lot of energy. We weren't just staring at the wall. And, but when that same level of anxiety affects you over time, it starts to affect not only your, your state of mind, whether you're positive or not positive, but it also affects the way you form memories, the way your intellect works, the way, you know, the regular things that we use in our lives are are not available to us a lot this time. Um, and so so those are all losses. Yeah. So as part of the story, you also got to talk to writer Susan Orlean, who has just been a delight on Twitter since the pandemic started, I gotta say. She's been so great. <laughs> um, she mentioned that what she finds is that she's doing much less than she did before, but she says she's still just completely exhausted. Yes, that was, that was a common theme among people I, I heard from was um, we're spending many more hours a day working, but we have a lot less to show for it at the end of the day. And we're completely exhausted, even though we barely did anything. So like, even if all you did was move from your bed to your kitchen and back to your bed, <laughs> you're exhausted by the end of the day. 
And you know, when you're in normal times, when you're sick and you stay home from work, let's say, and Mm -hmm. it's actually kind of uh, recharging and you go back the next day and you feel better. Yeah. All that stuff that used to feel like a little time out from all the hustle and bustle of life is now our lives every single day. So you lose the excitement over those things as well. And Susan Orlean, as you say, is great. She's been on Twitter a lot talking about, you know, joking about drinking and <laughs> joking about how her day is going. And she's so delightful. And I was really struck. She's such a great writer. And she was saying it's just been hard. You know, here she had a whole year of time where she could have just put her head down and produced, you know, millions of new things. And she just can't do it. Yeah, I feel like that was definitely one of the early myths that got busted pretty quickly into this was the whole like, oh, this is your time. Like you can write the great American novel. It's like, oh, yeah, no. (laughs) Remember that Hamlet thing where everyone was like, oh, during the plague is when Shakespeare wrote Hamlet. And immediately everybody thought, oh, fuck, you know, I, where's my Hamlet? (laughs) So what the hell do we do about it? I think, you know, I actually do think that talking about it is really good. Mm -hmm. And I think if one person in the conversation or in the group admits to how hard this has been, it's amazing to me how the floodgates kind of open and everyone feels they can talk about this stuff. This is a collective trauma. We are going through a worldwide collective trauma. And at the end of it, what people need to do is be able to talk about it. Well, Sarah, thanks for talking about it with me. It was great to talk to you too. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. All right, that's it for this week. Before I go, the book club panel chat is coming up and we would love to hear from you. Have you read Danielle Evans' short story collection, The Office of Historical Corrections? What did you think? Did you have a favorite story or even a least favorite story? Whatever it is, we would love to hear from you. Record yourself and then send a voicemail to nerdappodcast at gmail.com. Do it before we tape a week from today. The show is produced by me and Isabel Carter. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. Hang in, take care, and talk about hard things with people you love. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.